Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word. As much as we would want to give something to the Lord, and it seemed like a good thing to give something to the Lord, what God wants most of all, more than anything you can give Him, is your heart right with Him. You in the right place with Him. He wants that more than anything else. There's nothing I could give God that He wants more than my surrendered heart, my obedience. There's nothing that's more valuable, more important. I couldn't give enough money for it to matter if my heart's grimy before God. He wants that. That's more important than anything I could offer and give. If you're trying to give everything away or you're volunteering for hours at your local church to get God's approval, stop. Today, Pastor Bill will encourage you to check your heart. Although all those things are good, they're not going to make God love you more. The greatest gift you can give to the Lord is you. No amount of materialistic things or money can matter more. No large amount of works of service or time given to the church. If your heart is not in it for Him, it doesn't matter. Now, here's Pastor Bill in the book of Leviticus chapter 15 for today's edition of A Transforming Word. I never believe that I just, this scenario right here, I could never say, no, I'm, I'm just in bondage. I can't stop. Don't ever say what you can't do. I tell people whenever I'm talking to people in council and they say, man, I was really trying, but I can't. I said, no, 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 you won't. Not that you can't, you won't. Because in Christ, you can. God will empower you when you make the choice. God will empower you to walk in his victory. When you're not experiencing his victory, it's not because you can't. It's because you won't. And so we need to all remember that God's faithful, who will not allow us to be tempted beyond what we're able. But with the temptation, he says he always makes a way of escape that we may be able to bear so moving on. So the rest of this first section here, we're going to look at all the things that the guy that's considered unclean, what happens because of it. So verse three, this shall be his uncleanness in regard to his discharge, whether his body runs with his discharge or his body is stopped up by his discharge. It is uncleanness. Now, these are all the things that would identify him. Every bed is unclean on which he who has the discharge lies. Everything on which he sits shall be considered unclean. Whoever touches his bed shall wash his clothes and bathe in water. You're going to see that over and over again. Wash his clothes, bathe in water. Anybody that comes in contact with them in any kind of way, wash his clothes, bathe in water. I'm going to come back to that. Verse six, he who sits on anything which he who has the discharge sat shall wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean until evening. Verse seven, he who touches the body of him who has the discharge shall wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean until evening. If he who has the discharge spits on him who is clean, then he shall sock him in the nose. No, it doesn't say that. Um, I don't know why this guy with the discharge is spitting on people, but if he does, <laughs> he just he needs to get beat up too. But uh, if he spits on someone who is clean, then he shall wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean until evening. Any saddle on which he who has the discharge rides shall be unclean. Whoever touches anything that was under him shall be unclean until evening. He who carries any of those things shall wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean until evening. And whomever the one who has the discharge touches and has not rinsed his hands in water, he shall wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean until evening. And then the last thing in verse 12, the vessel of earth or an earthen vessel that he who has discharged touches shall be broken and every vessel of wood shall be rinsed in water. So this is the overwhelming counsel is this guy's unclean VD, some kind of issue he has in the discharge. If you touch him, 
You need to wash your clothes, bathe in water. If you sit on something he sat on, wash your clothes, bathe in water. If you rode his donkey and his saddle and found out he had the thing, you wash your clothes and bathe in water. And every instance they had to, you got to wash it off. You got to be made clean. I mean, you'd be considered unclean till evening. So why all of this? Why is God, I mean, why is this in the word of God? Why is God instructing his people? A couple things. This would prevent the spread of disease among God's people, right? Just because this guy went and did something he shouldn't be doing and contracted something that he shouldn't have, God says, it doesn't mean everybody needs to be impacted by it in a negative way. So we find out that that's what he's dealing with. He needs to be unclean, separated. Until he's pronounced clean, he needs to be over there. Don't touch him. Don't touch his stuff. Don't sit on his bed. You really wouldn't be hanging out with this guy very close. Now, someone might say, well, how would you know? I mean, how does all that come forth? How does that come out? It was a part of how they dealt with things among God's people at this time. He would be pronounced unclean once it was known. He'd be pronounced unclean. And however people needed to be notified or find out after the fact or whatever it was, they were going to wash their clothes, bathe in water, take a bath, and then they'd be unclean until evening. What's the lesson for us in this? A couple things. Obviously, what we already said, um, as believers, we want to be people that walk in holiness and purity. We don't want to be those that are wrapped up in sexual sin. Yes, we live in a sexually charged nation, but so did they. And they were to be holy in the midst of a sexually charged nation. Yes, they lived in a nation where everybody else was doing it, but they were to be holy. And we live in a nation where everybody else is doing it. Even some churches are doing it. And God would say, but I want you to be holy, be set apart. Don't be wrapped up in that. Then when we find that someone has been impacted, when there is some uncleanness, I just need to be careful. It does matter where we put ourselves and who we put ourselves around. There are things that God would say, you know, you need to wash, you need to be cleansed. We deal with uncleanness every day, everywhere you go. You can't really go anywhere. We don't come in contact with uncleanness. As I was preparing this, I just kind of tested myself. So I'm going to just go throughout this day and see where and how and in what ways when you're not even looking for it, but in what ways I'm going to be impacted by the uncleanness of the nation in which I live and to everywhere. It could be as simple as the way that people are dressing. It could be things that you read. It could be things that are passed by. Here could be this. One way that it happened to me is I'm sitting in my car and someone drove by my car and the music that was coming out of my their car that I could hear in my car was pornographic. The things that they were saying in the music was pornographic and it's in my ear. I'm listening to it. it I didn't it wasn't on my radio. Don't it wasn't on my it wasn't on my iPhone, but it was coming. I was being impacted by the culture in which I live. So we live among it. We live around it. How do we wash? They had to go wash with water, take a bath. You and I, how do we wash away the filth of this world that we get immersed in every single day? The word. The word is how we washed it. In Ephesians 5, it tells the husbands who's, you know, it says that you wash your wife, wash her in the water of the word of God. Wash her because she's dirty. No, because she live in a dirty world and the junk gets on her. Wash her with the word. Wash that junk off of her. Minister to her in that way. So as we go out into a filthy world and we're impacted by filthy things and filthy people that's all around us. If you just go every day and you get out and you're in it and you come back, you're out, you're in it, you come back and you just go in and out and in and out and in and out before you know it. It's, you're going to have some stuff on you. It's going to be impacting. You're going to be taking it in. But if we wash in the word regularly, get up in the morning and wash yourself in the word. Before you go to bed, wash yourself in the word. When you get opportunity in the middle of the day, wash yourself in the word. When you got opportunity like this to come out and just be washed in the word once again, it has a cleansing effect on the believer. 
it does wash us. It does renew us in our focus, renew us in our vision, does remind us of who we are and what we're supposed to be doing. And so as they were to wash, we need to wash every day too. We need, I need to take responsibility. I can't be responsible for the world in which I live, but I can be responsible for me. And so I want to, I need to be washed. I need to take the word in. Let's let the Lord wash my heart, wash my mind, speak to me anew through his word. Um, healthy for all of us. Again, the, if it touched the earthen vessel, they said they would just break it. It's no good. If it touched a vessel of wood, they can wash it out. Verse 13, we move on to a, another issue. It says, and when he who has a discharge is cleansed of his discharge, then he shall count for himself seven days for his cleansing, wash his clothes and bathe his body in running water, and he shall be clean. So once he's pronounced clean, so he may, we don't know how long he'll have this issue, uh, but for whatever period of time he has, he's unclean. Once he's finally healed of it or whatever, and he goes, he's pronounced clean of this illness. Now that he's pronounced clean, there's seven days, takes seven days for his cleansing, washes his clothes, bathes his body in running water, and he shall also be clean. Then on the eighth day, what's the eighth day representative of new beginnings? On the eighth day, he gets a new chance, new beginning. On the eighth day, he shall take for himself two turtle doves or two young pigeons and come before the Lord to the door of the tabernacle of meeting and give them to the priest. And we should point out that until he was pronounced clean, he couldn't come before the Lord. He wasn't able. He was unclean. He couldn't come bring an offering. He couldn't come before the Lord. He was unclean. So I just would point this out. Can we come before the Lord unclean and offer anything to him? If we got issues, if we got unconfessed sin, if we got grime and dirt, can we offer up worship in a way that pleases the Lord? Nope, you can't. God even says this. He says, hey, when you're getting ready to come to the altar and give a gift to the Lord, you're going to give, right? You realize on your way down the altar that I got ought with my brother. What does Jesus say do? Leave your gift. Go make it right with your brother. Then come back and offer your gift. Why? Because that's more important than the gift to God. Your heart being right. You being in the right place. They're not being beef unnecessarily that you love your brother. That's a bigger deal to God. And so God would say to us, you know, as we come before him, um, maybe for some people, maybe that's why God is so silent. I, I try to get in my word out reading. I'm not hearing anything. I'm not getting anything. How you living? What's there? Is there unconfessed sin? Is there uncleanness? Is there grime? Is there dirt? Is there things that God is saying? Like, would you, could you repent of that? I'd hear that. Would you confess those sins? I would hear that. I would wash that away. Um, I would love to start with you in a new place. They weren't able to come in that unclean condition and offer this sacrifice. It was once they had been pronounced clean. So this is the application from that. As much as we would want to give something to the Lord, and it seemed like a good thing to give something to the Lord, what God wants most of all, more than anything you could give him, is your heart right with him. You in the right place with him. He wants that more than anything else. There's nothing I could give God that he wants more than my surrendered heart, my obedience. There's nothing that's more valuable, more important. I couldn't give enough money for it to matter if my heart's grimy before God. He wants that that's more important than anything I could offer and give. Now, when I get that right, now I have the privilege, the privilege of worship, privilege to give something to the Lord. So this guy has now been pronounced clean after seven days. He's able. It's a privilege that now he can come and offer this sacrifice to the Lord. So look at verse 14. On the eighth day, he shall take for himself two turtle doves or two young pigeons and come before the Lord to the door of the tabernacle of meeting and give them to the priest. Then the priest shall offer them the one as a sin offering and the other as a burnt offering. So the priest shall make atonement for him before the Lord because of his discharge. That's how come we know this discharge was a sin issue. It says the burnt offering 
is just for consecration. And so it's just committed. It's like you could be recommitting. I'm just consecrating my heart to the Lord once again. I want to just be consecrated, set apart for God. But God said you got to bring a sin offering and a consecration offering. Well, you don't give a sin offering if there's no sin that's being dealt with. So he had to bring a sin offering. And then after the sin was dealt with, a consecration offering. And that the way it goes. First, we deal with our sin. And we deal with that, and then we just commit ourselves. God, now that I've dealt with my sin, now that that's washed away, now that that's forgiven, now I just commit myself to you anew and afresh. I consecrate my life to you. Isn't it a beautiful thing that God will let us do that, that we can come back? That someone that's been unclean, someone that's been defiled, someone that's gotten messed up out there, isn't it a beautiful thing that God says, but you can come back? I made a provision. Just like he made a provision for them then, God's made a provision for you and I now. And for us to provision is different. Do we got to get a turtle dove and pigeons? No, no, we don't. There's been a sacrifice laid out for you and I once and for all. His name is Jesus. And we can cry out to him. We can confess our sins to him. And God says, first John one nine, you confess your sins. He's faithful and just to forgive you your sins and to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. He wants you clean. God's not proud. He's not. There's no cheering that you've been caught dirty. God wants you to be clean. He made provision for it. And so we'll come on his terms. Honest in confession, God says, I'll cleanse you, I'll forgive you, I'll make it new, it'll be new and right between you and I. And then you can commit yourself, then you can consecrate yourself to the Lord once again and just, just commit your heart to follow him, that you would end up back in that same place once again. Next thing, verse 16, this deals with a separate issue. And so verse 16, it says, if any man has an emission of semen, then he shall wash his body in water and be unclean until evening. And so in this instance here, it's not a matter of disease. It's a matter of an emission of semen. And I'll, I'll explain. Um, this isn't dealing with any kind of a sinful thing. It'll explain as we read through it. It could be through sexual contact with his wife. Another way that there could be an emission of semen in a man is through something we would call a wet dream. Nothing that he did anything himself or anything like that. And so if there's an emission of semen, he's still considered unclean. And I'll explain why it's not a sinful thing. It's just something he's got to watch for. As you get to the end of it, you'll notice that there's no sin offering, you know, necessary for this, just that he would wash. And so if any man has an emission of semen, then he shall wash his body in water and be unclean until evening. This is more hygienic. You wake up, you had a wet dream, get, wash yourself. You had relations with your wife, there was an emission of semen, wash yourself. Just basic stuff. God wants his people to be clean. They're not dirty, nasty with it. So moving on, any garment and any leather on which there is semen, it shall be washed with water and be unclean until evening. Also, when a woman lies with a man and there is an emission of semen, they shall bathe in water and be unclean until evening. If a woman has a discharge in the... Okay, so let me stop this. This is a different one here. So disregarding semen, if it's discharged, they just needed to go wash. This wasn't to be a prohibition. This wasn't to make sin dirty or nasty. God was teaching his people, I think, just some pretty basic things. I, I'm not wanting to be gross, but I would presume that most married couples, if they have intercourse, they wash afterwards. God saying, hey, go wash. And for them, the day started like ours. We've adopted it. And, you know, it would be they'd be unclean till evening. So it'd be within that day. The next day, they're welcome to go back and worship. There's no offering necessary. No one's sin. There's no sin offering. God just saying, hey, if you, if you do that, you go wash and be clean and continue on. So just want to point that out. Moving on. 
now we've come, we've dealt with the men. Uh, we've dealt with a venereal disease. We've dealt with an emission of semen. Now we're going to deal with the woman and her challenges. And so verse 19, if a woman has a discharge and the discharge from her body is blood, she shall be set apart seven days. And whoever touches her shall be unclean until evening. Everything that she lies on doing her impurity shall be unclean. Also, everything that she sits on shall be unclean. This is speaking of a woman's normal monthly cycle. She'd be considered unclean for seven days. Anything that she would sit on, so forth and so on, it's, it's a discharge of blood, would be considered unclean. Whoever she touches, verse 22, whoever touches anything that she sat on shall wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean till evening. If anything is on her bed or on anything on which she sits, when he touches it, he shall be unclean until evening. And again, the purpose of this is not, there's no sin involved in a woman's menstrual cycle in and of itself. There are some things that are, you know, I don't know what the situation was before Eve. I know that there was no pain in childbirth before Eve. That would have been nice for the ladies. Uh, just, I can't even imagine how that would have happened, but there was childbirth without pain. It was The pain came as a result of what Eve did. I don't know what part of this plays and all of that, but God says for this scenario here, when that the monthly issue happens, considered unclean. Why? Because there's blood. And so interesting in both of these scenarios here, there's two things that deal with life. Obviously, blood deals with life and then the seed of man deals with life. God says she would be considered unclean. Uh, if you touch anything that she sat on or whatever you wash, um, anything that she's sat on, laid on needs to be washed as well. And she's unclean for that period of seven days. Verse 24, if any man lies with her at all so that her impurity is on him, he shall be unclean seven days and her and every bed on which she lies shall be unclean. So woman on a menstrual cycle, um, I don't want to be gross, but I, I mean, for the most part, we grown folk. And as I'm reading different people on this, some people say that, you know, it's a uh, sex is prohibited for a woman that's on her cycle. Others would say, no, it's not prohibited. It just says if you do it, you got to wash and be unclean seven days. Pretty much what it says right here is it doesn't say that it's prohibited. It says if it does happen and it gets on you, that you both wash and you're unclean with her for seven days. And that's what it says. So that's it. Moving right along. Uh, verse 25, uh, we deal now with something other than a woman's uh, monthly menstrual cycle. Um, this discharge here is as the discharge for the man something that's believed to be a result of some sort of sin. And so in verse 25, is if a woman has a discharge of blood for many days, other than that, other than the time of her customary impurity, or if it runs beyond her usual time of impurity, all the days of her unclean discharge, she shall be as the days of her customary impurity. She shall be unclean. The reason we believe it's a result of sin is because as we get down to the end of it, he says, when it's finally dealt with, she's got to offer up a sin offering. And you don't ever offer up a sin offering unless there's been sin. So in this instance here, it's not a, a normal monthly cycle. It's a woman that's got an ongoing discharge of blood. There was a woman in the Gospels that the Bible says she had a, it was an ongoing a flow of blood and it made her unclean. She couldn't go in for worship. She was considered unclean. She couldn't be around people. People couldn't sit where she sat. It impacted her life in a long way. And it says that that woman had spent all of her money on doctors, but they couldn't help her. So she had been going to doctors and seeing doctors and trying to get help and they couldn't help her, but they, they took her money and she had nothing left. And then she saw Jesus walking in the crowds one day and she said to herself, if I could just touch the hem of his garment, 
I'll be, I'll be made whole. She had faith. She trusted. She believed that Jesus could heal her and says that she went through the crowd and she just touched the hem of his garment. Jesus turns around and says, who touched me? You know, virtue went out. Power went out from me. And the disciples are like, what do you mean who touched you? People are thronging around him on every side. He says, no, no, someone touched me. And it's interesting because everybody was touching him, but he said, no, no, someone touched me with, they touched me with an intention. They touched me. There was faith involved. He saw there was something different in her touch and he ministered to that lady. And she was made whole and she was healed in that instant by the Lord. And if she would have needed to go and show herself uh, to the priest and be and all the things we're going to read here, be pronounced clean. And so moving on now, verse 26, every bed on which she lies, all the days of her discharge shall be to her as the bed of her impurity. And whatever she sits on shall be unclean as the uncleanness of her impurity. Whoever touches those things shall be unclean. He shall wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean until evening. But if she is cleansed of her discharge, then she shall count for herself seven days, and after that she shall be clean. And on the eighth day she shall take for herself two turtle doves, two young pigeons, and bring them to the priest, to the door of the tabernacle of meeting. The priest shall offer the one as a sin offering, that's how we know there is sin, and the other as a burnt offering for consecration, same as before. And the priest shall make atonement for her before the Lord, for the discharge of her uncleanness. And I would just point out once again that though there was sin involved and though sin brought its consequence into her physical body, there was made in the law a provision for her to be made whole, to be made cleansed physically, but also to be made cleansed spiritually where she might be able to come back into fellowship and come back in to worship the Lord. I just want to, this is God's heart. So as I'm reading this, I'm, 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 I read over this over and over and over again, just saying, man, Lord, Really? <laughs> Leviticus 15. And but this is one of the things I see. God has always there's always been a provision that God has made for unclean people to be made cleansed. It's here. Notice that God's focus isn't on the judgment. God's not looking. He could have written this book and said, hey, if that's a if they got a venereal disease and we find out that you could just excommunicate them, chop their heads off, deal with them. But God's making a provision for them to be cleansed. For them to be made whole, for them to come back into fellowship, for them to be made right with him again. And that seems to be the heart of the Lord, the desire of God. So a couple things for us, because, you know, I look at the Pharisees in the Gospels and wonder sometimes if we haven't become like them. What did the Pharisees do? They caught the woman in the act of adultery and they brought her before the Lord. They didn't care about her. They didn't care about her opportunity to be cleansed or forgiven. They didn't even bring the guy, never mind him and his sin. They brought her and they threw her before the Lord and they said, hey, Moses law said stoner. What do you say? They wanted to see what they could get. They wanted to see if Jesus was going to do the law or if he was going to do something else. And if you guys know the story, you know, Jesus did something more amazing. He, he stooped down in the sand and said, and he began to write. And then not tell us what he wrote. A lot of people suspect that he started writing down their sins. Because it says one by one. They started leaving. They started taking off. And, um, and it'd be like Jesus stooped down and said, okay. Since you brought her sin, we just write your name, Bill Buffington, and just start, I'm, I'm out, I'm out, but don't write no more. You know, just people just started taking off and leaving. Here, he left Jesus there with that woman. And what did he tell her? He'd tell her, you nasty, stinky woman. How could you? No. Told her, go and sin no more. Stop that. People don't want to talk. People forget that part of what Jesus said. He was like, well, he forgave her. Jesus merciful. He forgives everybody. No, no. He told her to go repent. He said, go, you're forgiven, but don't do it no more. Don't do it again. Go and sin no more. Stop that. It's okay to tell somebody, stop that. Y'all know that? Some people say, that's what you're judging me. No, you need to stop that. That's why we're here. Help you out. So Jesus makes a provision. God makes a provision for them here. Makes a provision for us. 
So I'd ask you, is there any uncleanness in your life? It could be sexual sin. It could be some other issue, some other area of uncleanness, something that's just there in between you and the Lord, ruining fellowship, ruining intimacy, getting in between you and the Lord. There's a provision made. So everyone who wants to be clean can be clean. You've been listening to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. Thanks for tuning in. Leviticus is often a book that gets overlooked and misjudged. Though it seems to be full of meaningless and insignificant rules, nothing can be further from the truth. All of Scripture is so important to understanding not only your faith, but also the heart of God. When God created the Ten Commandments, they weren't meant to control. They were meant to help guide. God desires for all His children to understand that life in Him can be full and rich. And that's all God wants for you too. But He won't force you to live in Him or live by His guidance. You get to choose it. What a gift! If you're looking to dive deeper into Leviticus or other scriptures, we have a helpful Bible reading plan on our website. This can be a useful guide to help you explore the Word of God on a daily basis. Look on our website, CalvaryInglewood.org. Thank you for tuning in today to A Transforming Word. Next time, Pastor Bill will continue teaching through the book of Leviticus. But before we go, we'd like to ask you to prayerfully consider supporting this ministry financially. Any amount is appreciated. These teachings are broadcast on the radio and help spread the good news of the gospel. That's a powerful thing. If you'd like to find out more about how to support a transforming word, go to CalvaryInglewood.org or donate through our app. We're so thankful for your support and more than anything. We hope this ministry has been and continues to be a blessing to you. We look forward to you joining Pastor Bill again next time, right here on A Transforming Word.